Originally founded as a disaster relief organization, Souls for Souls provided footwear to those impacted by the 2004 tsunami and Hurricane Katrina in 2005. Since then, they've distributed over 30 million pairs of shoes in 127 countries in all 50 U.S. states. But that wasn't enough for the organization. Souls for Souls also created a micro-enterprise model, providing individuals with high-quality, low-cost product to help them run their small businesses, disrupting the cycle of poverty in the process. Welcome to In the Business of Change, where we speak with social entrepreneurs impacting their communities and the world. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum, publisher and editor-in-chief of Sea Change Magazine. As an added note, I'm excited to announce that I recently published my first book, also titled In the Business of Change, profiling social entrepreneurs around the world and their lessons learned. Check it out at your local bookstore, at Amazon, or on our website. On today's episode, we speak with the president and CEO of Souls for Souls, Buddy Teaster. We discuss how the social enterprise is creating short-term relief as well as long-term solutions. The challenges they face, including competitors at every corner drop box, and how they measure social and economic impact to help sustain their mission. So Souls for Souls has been around since 2006. Mm-hmm. And the, the two years before that, actually sort of unofficially was there, <clears throat> responded first to the tsunamis in South Asia, and then uh, 10 months later to Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. And those two things, which were more of a disaster response, where some of the souls for souls, particularly the founder, came from the shoe industry and said, I I think I can help. And then once those two things happened, that's when they decided to start the organization. So since then, we've distributed about 30 million pairs of shoes and millions of pounds of clothing in more than 125 countries. And, you know, we've evolved from that disaster relief response to how do we continue to help people who are kind of in a tough spot in the immediate moment? And then at the same time, how do we start to think about helping people in the longer term to get out of poverty in a more sustainable way? So so tell me a bit more about the model, how it works. I mean, there's the like you said, there was this this donation element to it, um, helping people at the moment um, and and get through emergency situations, uh, uh, urgent situations. And then there's also these micro enterprises. Um, if you can tell me a bit more about both of those. Sure. So the micro enterprise, which I'll talk about in a second, came mm. out of the disaster relief effort. Okay. It's very easy to understand and explain to everyone we give away shoes for free to people in need. People understand that. They understand the need for shoes. And so initially, that was a very powerful message that helped social souls grow very quickly at the beginning. But especially in 2010, after the earthquake in Haiti, where the outpouring of everything, clothes, shoes, water, money from, from the U.S. for the folks in Haiti, really created at what seemed like a problem at the beginning, but then turned into really the fuel for a microenterprise. And that is, what do you do with all these used shoes that people were donating? Right. And Souls for Souls made the decision early on, and it's arbitrary in some ways. I happen to think it was the right one. And that is, if we're going to give away 
shoes and clothes to people in need. Let's always make sure it's new. We get critiqued for that all the time. People are saying, look, if, if, if people need help right now, I've got good used shoes that they would love to have. Right. And that's true. So that's why I say it's arbitrary. You could make another decision and it would be equally as valid. Mm-hmm. That's what we've made. But having made it, then what do we do with all these literally millions of pounds of used shoes? And it turns out that that's a, that's a big industry. It's a global industry. And there are lots of people at the bottom of the pyramid who are already engaged in it, although in a very disadvantaged way. They are, they're kind of at the end of the supply chain, and they get the worst stuff at the highest price. So it's hard to make money. It's hard to, hard to turn that inventory. But it is a way – it's no different than selling bananas or coconuts or potatoes or cutting hair or fixing tires. You know, There are these very small businesses that don't really give you much margin to make a living. So as we explored that, it became clear that we could participate in that in a way that would help people at that end of the chain instead of at the top of the chain. And then over the last few years, we've continued to refine that to say, how do you cut out all the middlemen so that it goes right from your closet, Lisa, to somebody in Haiti or Honduras or Moldova so that they get the benefit of a good quality used product, your shoes, Mm -hmm. at a far better price than they could get on their own. And so they might find themselves with two or three times the income. They're the same business, but they've got a better supply. And that is transformational. You know, a lot of these folks can quickly amass a lot more money because take Haiti to stay with that for a second. There's almost no other avenue for shoes and clothes in Haiti. It's almost all um, used. Mm -hmm. And so that's the market. And if you can come in with business 101, better product at a better price, that turns out to be a great model to serve your community and also to build your business that will allow you to then invest in housing and education and food for your family, which helps get them out of the poverty, out of poverty for the long term. And in which countries are you currently uh, engaged? Like where and, and from either end of those the, the channels? So in any given year, Lisa, we probably work in 20 to 25 countries, mm-hmm. it, it, both with free and our microenterprise model. Um, over, I think, as I mentioned, over our history, we've been in more than 125 countries. So, you know, we've in the U.S. So that's one way to think about it. Right. And there's sort of no restrictions on okay. that. We'll, people can co- contact us from and do from lots of different organizations and lots of different countries. And if we can help, that's what we're here to do. On our microenterprise side, <clears throat> the pro- there are products that are donated to us that have a lot of restrictions on them. So, for example, we had a, a big shoe company a few years ago that said, um, we have a lot of shoes to donate, 65, 70,000 pairs of shoes. They can only go to these dozen countries in Africa. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't have on-the-ground partnerships there, which I'll talk about in a second. So we work through brokers. And, you know, we... We understand we work with the same small group all the time. We have a long term relationship, but it doesn't have the same impact. And we know that of the five countries that we're working in right now where we have on the ground deep partnerships that have lasted you know, years now, mm-hmm. where our partner on the ground is much more focused on the, the community they serve. So, for example, in Haiti, our partner there runs a school, does English as a second language trains healthcare workers and 
the shoe business is a part of the service that he provides right. to, in this case, the entrepreneurs. Right. And those are the ones that we're really focused on. We call that direct micro. Mm-hmm. And what we see there is the greatest benefit to the entrepreneurs comes from that really sort of intimate model. And that's what we're trying to expand. Got it. Okay. This is not a, a simple uh, type of social enterprise and organization to run. There's a lot of uh, elements. And so I'm curious as to, number one, let's get to the, the measuring of your social impact. I mean, it's it's hard when there are so many different hands in in the the, the pot, so to speak, right? Like there's different hands that you're, you're handing it off to, um, literally, figuratively. Uh, so how do you measure social impact? How, and I'm sure this is something that comes up for you if you're anyone who looks for uh, investments or funding or grants or anything, that's going to come up a lot, right? So how do you measure it? Yeah, it's, as you said, it's hard and yeah. we've certainly struggled. I, th- I think we have come up with a formula now that seems to be working for us. And interestingly, the driver was not for grants, and although we use it that way, it was right. really for us to say, what the hell are we doing? Like, right. how do we right. know if this is working? So Yeah, good point. We started going down the path of the obvious, how many entrepreneurs are there? How does their income change? Mm-hmm. And we found two things very clearly. One, that's hard, expensive, and beyond our capabilities to do in a sustainable way as a small organization. Yeah. And well, actually, there were three. The second one is often asking these entrepreneurs who are selling in the market financial questions. Put they are worried that's going to put them at a disadvantage. So if they know, okay, at least I know that you made five hundred dollars on that last shipment. I'm going to negotiate harder. Like you can afford to pay me more the next time. Mm-hmm. So I'm asking you to give me information that you're worried might be used against you. And so we were not getting good data. Right. And the third thing, it did not measure any of the economic value of what we were giving away for free, mm-hmm. which which has a value, right? Mm-hmm. If, you know, we just distributed a couple thousand pairs of shoes uh, to the metro school system in Nashville where we're based. Well, that's something that parents aren't going to have to buy, right? right. So, so we went back to the drawing board and said, we don't want to just count how much comes in and how much goes out. That's not really helpful. Mm-hmm. So we went to the markets <clears throat> where we work for the microenterprise and said, when we go through the brokers, there's one value and it's not very high because most of that final sales price does not stay with the person selling it, right? right? There's just too many mouths at the trough. Mm -hmm. We know there's a lot more value when we go through our direct channel because we're helping not only our local partner, but the entrepreneur also keeps most of that So any of the money that stays in the country, we measure as economic impact. Mm -hmm. And then we put a value on the free shoes and clothes that we give away. Mm -hmm. And it's we we put the same value on everything, which is kind of crazy. You know, if if you put a used pair of Nikes in the box to send to Souls for Souls, that's got more value than a pair of worn out flats. Right. But for simplicity's sake, we've just looked at the average or this is what happens in the market. This is what we sell it for. And so we've come up with this formula that says, okay, if it's worth this much in direct, it's this much in the indirect broker model and it's free. How much goes in the top of the funnel? How much goes each channel? It's a multiplication problem at that Mm -hmm, point. mm -hmm. And so we've set ourselves a goal in fiscal 18, 19 and 20. So we're just about to finish the first year of that. 
We want to have $150 million of economic impact. And then once we started thinking about that, we said, okay, let's go back to the beginning and assign a value for the most seven or eight of the first years. It was almost all given away for free. Right. But we would like to be at $500 million economic impact by the end of 2020. And we have a plan that's going to get us to about 420. <laughs> so we have a lot of work to do to figure out that next 80. <laughs> but the thing that I really like, Elisa, about this, and that's why I say it's important for me that if this started as an internal guide, is we really use it to make decisions. You know, I, I got off the uh, a phone call a little bit earlier, and it's, it's an adjacent business for us related to beauty products. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of our entrepreneurs would really like it because they're already kind of doing those sort of things. But one of the questions I know that I'm going to have to defend to the rest of the team is, what's, how's it, how does it affect our economic impact? Right. Is it going to really drive the things that we're after? This gives us a consistent way to go back uh, in time and look ahead and say, are we really doing what we said we were going to do if we're trying to wear out poverty, impact short and long term? Are, are we really doing that? Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. That makes total sense. And which actually, when you just said that, I realized I never actually asked you what is the mission. <laughs> what is the <laughs> what is the ultimate mission, and what what are you hoping to achieve? So, it's it's there are three pieces to it. Mm-hmm. One is to disrupt the cycle of poverty. We do that by creating sustainable jobs and providing relief through the distribution of shoes and clothing. Mm-hmm. And we think about three things always: how do we serve those in need? How do we create opportunity and how do we protect the environment? So those are the kind of three components that we always come back to. Right. That right, makes sense. Um, so now if I look at the challenges, I mean, you sort of touched upon them already. How could you not have um, in some ways? But, what, what, you know, any other challenges that come to mind that are primary, that, that are really on a day-to-day basis that you have to deal with? Um, and I will ask you a companion question that I didn't say, uh, which is, what are you most proud of? And I want to know both of those things. Yeah. Um, so the most proud of. Yeah. I'll start with that one. Um, sure. When I came in October of 2012, Souls for Souls was in, was on fire, right? I mean, we were losing money, bad press, our board had dwindled down to three mm. people. And what I'm proud of is the amazing team. And I include our board, volunteers, and our the people who get a paycheck. Hmm. It is mind blowing to me how much we've accomplished in five and a half years. So, you know, sometimes it feels like it's fifteen and a half years because it was so hard. Right. And at the same time, when I think about where this organization was five years ago, it's a miracle. <laughs> so I'm really <laughs> proud of the commitment to the mission. Mm-hmm. Running it like a business, recruiting the best team in every way possible, and really living up to our values. Therefore, we are transparent, entrepreneurial, accountable, and make sure that the work is meaningful. Mm-hmm. That has, I think, enabled us to get back to good financial health. We're growing again. We're having a much bigger impact. And so that's the thing I'm proudest of is five and a half years ago, you probably would have been smart to bet against us. And now here we are, and that journey has been amazing. Great. So yeah. oh, that's the first thing. Um, I think the challenge is, we've talked mostly about how do you get it out. The real challenge is how do you get it in. Ah, 
You know, how do I get Elisa to clean out her closet and donate her shoes to Souls for Souls when there are literally dozens of options? Are there other charitable organizations? Mm -hmm. Increasingly, you could put it online and sell it and keep the money yourself. True. So the and we're not, you know, there are lots of organizations like Goodwill or Salvation Army or St. Vincent de Paul or Savers. Mm -hmm. There are lots of them. Mm -hmm. They're they're everywhere. So their ubiquity makes it very easy for you to say, oh, I'll just drop them off on my way to right. the store or work. Whatever. The box well, down the street. Yeah, exactly. The you, that you pass yeah. five times a day. Yeah. Well, you haven't seen a box for Souls for Souls at every corner. <laughs> no. So it is an extra hurdle yeah. for us to convince individuals in particular to, to, to go the extra mile and make that happen. Mm -hmm. So our biggest challenge is, I mean, I am – in love with our microenterprise model, especially our direct model. I've, I, I've just, I know that it works. I see it work. I talk to people who have made it work. If we went from collecting four million pairs of this sh of shoes this year to fourteen million pairs this year, they would be gone instantly. Mm -hmm. And so the thing that we think about every day, all day, is how do we get more product in the top of the funnel? Because if we do that. We know that it turns into beneficial economic impact right. for people who don't have many options, and that's what we want to do more of. Mm -hmm. And that's a that's a big challenge. I mean, uh, that's that's a huge challenge, like you said. You know, the, the the competitors are, and I put competitors in quotes, but you know what I mean. Like people oh, who absolutely right. <laughs> those boxes are everywhere, and and the opportunity to make money is everywhere. And and if I can just ask you, what you know, is there do you do you promote it? Um, what what is one of the big tactics that you do use to overcome that challenge is that just a higher you know is it word of mouth is it promotion is it marketing do you spend extra money on any of those things or, or or just extra time on any of those things particularly so this year is a good example i think we've done a little bit of uh of sort of top down and bottom up so in the bottom up piece this year we opened five warehouses we're going to open one in toronto next month oh. and another one in the u.s next year great into this year, mm -hmm. where we have essentially, uh, for the first time, paid Souls for Souls staff out in the field. So we're in Atlanta, Denver, Richmond, Virginia, outside of New York City, and outside of Los Angeles, mm -hmm. where we have folks there whose job is to go out and support individuals and organizations who want to collect shoes for us. That's made a big difference. It yeah. will... In our first, we're ahead of projections for the first year. It looks like what we have planned for next year will, these things will be profitable in a year. Mm -hmm. And I'm thrilled about that. It's great. And it's generating a lot more incremental product, which is the key. Mm -hmm. um, at the, so that's the bottom up strategy. And that's, you know, one of the reasons that we're able to do that is we got back to financial health so that we can start to invest in that kind of growth. So right. that's, that's the wheel, flywheel on that one. Mm -hmm. At the same time, <clears throat> We still have to make it easier at the, quote, retail level. Right. And so just this month, we launched a partnership with DSW, which bought town shoes mm -hmm. in Canada. And mm -hmm. So between the U.S. and Canada, they now have 500 stores. And year-round, you can go in and drop off a pair of shoes at DSW. Mm -hmm. If you're a member of their loyalty program, which 25 million people are, blows right. me away. Yeah. Uh, you can get point. You can get uh, loyalty points. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So we're helping a great partner drive traffic to their stores, which is something everybody's figuring out how to do. Mm -hmm. So we're able to help be a business partner, obviously drives what, we're, what we want to do. It engages their customers. 
It has impact. So all these great things come out of that. And suddenly we have 500 more places around the country where you can drop off your shoes. That's a big deal. How do you convince people instead of monetizing it for themselves or instead of giving it to this thrift store, they should give it to you? I mean, it seems like, um, you know, you are adding more value um, in the long run if there's people who want to give back and they want to contribute to the sustainability of communities around the world. I mean, that would be the argument I would give to people. Is that how you typically market it? I mean, in terms of... Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. That... The impact that you can have with these shoes is far greater than the 20 bucks you're going to put in your pocket. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of a hard message. Yeah. So obviously we don't say it that bluntly. <laughs> but that's what we're trying to get to is you can put this money in your pocket and it's absolutely right to do that. Mm-hmm. Or you can have this kind of an impact in places where your $20 would go 10x. And and for someone who would give it to a box on the side of the street that says, we're giving this, we're helping this community in need, that, that's the other side of the thing. It's not that they're monetizing it maybe, but they're giving it to, um, and not th- no thrift stores, but a box, you know, community um, organization, which many people don't actually know where it goes after that. Though you dump it into a box and then you kind of pray that it goes somewhere, but no one really knows. Um, is there something a- more that you can demonstrate? Well, uh, the box thing is – that's just like the cost, the true cost of apparel. We could have another conversation about that sometime. <laughs> um, another hour conversation, that, yeah. That donation bin business is overwhelmingly for-profit. Yes. Where only a small percentage of the sales goes back to the – it's usually 2%. Yeah. Goes back to the sponsoring charity. Right. Most people don't know that though, but yeah. Yeah. It's uh, – Look, this used apparel and footwear business is giant. It's a multi-billion dollar global business. Mm -hmm. And so we shouldn't make any – we shouldn't deceive ourselves about that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's it's a – there's a lot of cash floating around in this thing. And those for-profit companies have the capital to buy the bins, put their graphics on them, run a route around them, and get it out of the country. And when you go to Haiti and Honduras and Moldova, the stuff that we're competing against comes from those bins. Mm -hmm. No question. Mm -hmm. Our story is, again, there's no middleman. 100% of what you're putting in this box is going to go to help these people. Right. What would you (laughs) say are the top lessons learned for you since you've come on? Man. Well, uh, (laughs) you know, the joke, what's the story? You could write a book about it. Well, I just did. (laughs) You did. Exactly. So. I did write a book. And, and was it based on those lessons? So it's, I think it's what drove it. Right. It's, it's not about – the book is about the people who are part of the Souls for Souls ecosystem, entrepreneurs, our local partners, our volunteers, our corporate partners. That's the story, right? Mm-hmm. Those are the people who make it all possible. But it was driven by all the dumb things that happened <laughs> and the good things. Right. But like why did – why did things almost get off the rails? So I would say the lessons learned, you know, it's going to sound so cliche, but I am 100% convinced that a key decision for us was to articulate these values of transparency, being entrepreneurial and accountable and make sure that it's meaningful. Mm-hmm. In f- because A big part of what got Souls for Souls in trouble was lack of transparency, saying – 
thank you for giving us your shoes. We're going to go help poor people. And then they were selling the shoes. Well, we're not doing anything very different than they were before. It's just that they didn't want to talk about that. It's hard. It's easy to say we give shoes away for free. I've got to have a both more courage about what I'm doing Mm -hmm. and you have to give me more time to explain that. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. when that happens, the belief in the power of microenterprise has gone up exponentially for us. Right. And so by saying guys, transparency is you cannot, we cannot wiggle on that one. Mm -hmm. Well, it made for some terrible conversations (laughs) early on, but what we saw is like, okay, if we if we push through that of getting yelled at, which we should have been, now and then saying, you're right, and here's what we're doing to change all that. Adidas is a great example. You know, they were always on the edge a little bit, but when we said, look, here's what it means. Come and see it. They went from this is nice to anything that we don't have to sell, we are giving to you guys because we saw the impact. Hmm. That came out 100%, Lisa, because of being transparent. So that decision around values, I think, was the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, look, I've been on in organizations. I'm 54 years old, so I'm not like just – I didn't just fall off the turnip truck. <laughs> and I kind of knew it was important. This is the first time I've seen it transform an organization. Well, it sounds like you're – it's in a good spot. It's you're gonna good place, um, and uh, I, I am really looking forward to seeing what comes next. Uh, sounds like there will be more good things on the horizon, and I'm especially looking forward to seeing you guys have some presence here in Toronto. Um, that's an exciting development, and I'm holding you to that July thing, but it may be closer <laughs> to August, maybe. <laughs> Give me a, just a little wiggle room on that. <laughs> all right, all right. But um, that's wonderful. I really do appreciate you sharing all that with me, your story, and um, just the, the wonderful work you're doing. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time. That's amazing. Thank you so, so much. Well, you are doing great work also. I, I signed up for your newsletter today, Ooh. so I'm going to be more plugged in. And uh, <laughs> You know, I just think the thinking about social enterprise and social entrepreneurship has, its well, you've been at it for a long time, you know, but it's an exciting place to be. So anybody who's thinking about it and talking to as many people you are as you are is really worth staying in touch with. So I'm, I appreciate getting connected. Thank you for listening to In the Business of Change. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to hear other conversations with inspired social entrepreneurs and change makers working on challenges in their communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum.